0: Sunday, July 8th, today's, the title of today's sermon is The Separation of the Sheep and Goats, The Consequences of Our Deeds. The Consequences of Our Deeds. Man, this is, gonna be, this is the second part in a four-part series on eschatology. <laughs> it's, I don't know, some of y'all that may be exciting, some of you are like, okay, great, we'll suffer through four of them. But the idea is not just that we are learning something about the end times, but it, we're doing it in a way that will make it practical. Last week, we talked about resurrection. Come on, that was a great service last week. Pastor Eric laid it out so well. The consequences of your faith. What do you really have your faith and hope placed in? I have a topic, uh, a, a quote from C.T. Studd, one of our favorites here at this church. He was talking about recruits, how they came to his ministry and begin to work with him. He said, our recruits come from home, vastly raw, and largely parrots. In other words, they're just mimicking things. They have been crammed with religion as though for an examination and seem to come out to carry on their education rather than to finish it. So many are just taught doctrines without ever having thought them out or searched the Scripture for themselves. They come out like infants with pop guns. What an interesting... The reason you can see now why I'm reading reading this passage to you it's a very interesting use of words like infants with pop guns they need to be trained into soldiers with real devil defying weapons this study on eschatology is not to give you more uh, more in your theological bag that you can pull out this is designed here today what we're doing with you over this series is because we've prayed about it and we thought that this is the equipping that this body needs so that you can have real devil-defying weapons in your hand. Amen. We'll begin today where Pastor Eric left off last week. We heard about the foundational importance of the resurrection, the central promise, the central hope of Christianity itself. We looked at it from Genesis through Revelation, that the resurrection power of our God is at work in us to transform us. Everybody say transform. transform. So that we become and act as God's agents of change here on the earth. I, I just want to quote to you a little bit from, from last week. When we place our faith in Greek Olympus-like myths, the results are compounding theological errors. But even more damaging than the errors in understanding is the consequence of the attitude that these errors perpetuate. Your goal becomes to, to escape to a better place. Anybody ever been guilty of wanting to escape to a better place? Yeah, we all have. Let's be real. We think that it's we need a better job. We think that we need a better car. We think we need a better house. We think we need a new, a new life. Somewhere else would be better than what we have here. Your aim is to live in a ghastly, ghostly plane that is an insult to your design. Man, Pastor Eric brought it last week. <laughs> what an incredible thing. He ended the service last week with a few questions. Are you more prone to want to leave a problematic situation than transform it? Are you more prone to wait to act because the Lord will, you know, he'll fix it all in the end? Have you pacified yourself with non-biblical axioms? Things like all that matters is that we get to heaven. The consequence of faith is that trusting in the physical transformation of your body leads to the transformation of the world around you. Would you turn with me to John chapter 11 as we get going here this morning? John chapter 11, and we're going to look at verse 25. It says this, this is within the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jesus said to her, he's speaking to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Boy, if you don't have the understanding of the resurrection, that sentence is ridiculous. It makes no sense. He's going to live even though he dies. What? Yeah, with the resurrection, that makes exact, that is our hope. That even though we may die, that not even death can keep us from accomplishing God's will because of the resurrection power. The things that he's given to us, the things that he's given to you and your family, you and to your children and their children and their children generations off will be accomplished and will, it will and must be accomplished because of the power of the resurrection. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Wait, you just said we're going to die. Yes, that's exactly the point. Any death that you have, that's why he can look at someone and say, hey, this one is only sleeping. Why? Because it's just like you take and you go to sleep. Because the resurrection will come and you will live life that is truly life. Amen? Yeah. We've got the one purpose in this place today. We've got one understanding that we're going for. Pastor, can you put up our first slide? We, we showed you in our biblical eschatology what we're going to be looking at. We gave you one with a gazillion question marks, right? That's where we started last week, is over the course of this week and the next few weeks, we're going to be able to fill in all of these blanks. Let's go to the next one, Pastor. What we did last week was we started talking about the entirety of humanity. We saw that from before time began, we call that Alpha Eternity. Before there was a a time clock that started to let us to measure what God's plan for our lives are. We see somewhere back in the past that we see the fall of mankind, In Adam's day, 2000 years later, we see Abraham, a great man of faith, who we are still seeing him as the father of our faith. 2000 years after that, we see the Messiah coming. We see him come to earth as a lamb. We see him sacrificed for our lives. We see him as the first fruits of those who've been resurrected from the dead. Now somewhere we're in that next 2000 year span. We're getting close to the end of it, aren't we? We're getting near the end. We're getting near to the day of the Lord, as it says. The day when he will return and set up a kingdom on earth for a thousand years. There's a lot left in this story of humanity. Boy, it's hard for us to perceive some of these things, isn't it? We get our few years on this planet, that's why the Lord it's it said through the word that we're like a vapor. We're here and then we're gone. When you start seeing the bigger plan, it's not designed to overwhelm you. It's designed to let you have rest and comfort that he has got a plan and he wants you to be a part of it, that we can trust in him. If he's got all of these things working, surely he knows how to tell us and direct our lives, doesn't he? Surely if he's figured out how to put the universe in order, surely if he's decided that he can measure the oceans in the, in the palm of his hand, if he can set out the stars and the expanse with his great power, surely he can help you where you are. Of course he can. We talked about the first resurrection last week. We even talked about a second resurrection. Anybody learn anything last week? I know I did. Anybody ever think about a second resurrection in the timeline? I don't often think about that one. But we talked about it last week. We saw it in Revelation. What we're going to do today is we're going to study throughout our time together, utilizing the gospel of Matthew, I think it's going to be so clear today. We're talking about the separation of the sheep and the goats. I think it's going to be so clear to you today. The way that I was thinking about it was I can take the book of Matthew. We're going to take the book of Matthew today and understand what God has as far as separating the sheep from the goats. I think you're going to learn something today. It's my prayer. It's my hope. It's my desire that you will learn something, not just about a timeline, but about your own life today. And what I'm going to do is have the framework of this message. It's like I'm going to tie 65 other books of the Bible behind my back. And we're going to look at the book of Matthew. And we're going to be able to work through this one idea. Amen? Don't worry. We'll cover law prophets writing. But our framework is going to be out of the book of Matthew. So turn to the book of Matthew with me. Let's look at chapter 13. We're going to debunk some misconceptions that you probably have today. It's hard to debunk misconceptions, isn't it? Because you don't think they're a misconception. (laughs) You wouldn't, you wouldn't hold on to it if you thought it was wrong. What we think is because we think that it's right. So we're gonna go through and we're gonna look at these. Our first parable. We're gonna look at seven parables today in the book of Matthew. Why seven? Well, because it's seven. There are other parables that we can use. There are other passages that we can use. I figure if we can't do it in the seven parables in Matthew, then you're probably not going to believe it anyway. Look at Matthew chapter 13 and let's start in verse three. Are you there with me? It says this. Then he told them many things in parables, saying a farmer went out to sow his seed. The first parable that we're going to look at is the parable of the sower. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. Isn't that interesting? It sprang up quickly because it was shallow. That's an interesting thought. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered away because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other fell on good soil, which it where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Uh, A refrain that happens at the end of a lot of these parables. Hey, I want you to make sure that you're listening. I want you to make sure that you're listening. The book of Matthew and specifically the parables that we're going to be going through, each of these are written to the believers. Say, this story is for the believers. Now, Everyone can kind of agree to that as we get started, but if you're like me and as we talk about it today, you're going to find out that you don't always actually think that. I was trying to figure out how to do this today. I was like, if this was a classroom setting, if this was a Friday night, I'd give you all a pretest. You're like, what? No, I would make you write down what you thought ahead of term. Because if you're not careful, we're going to get through this day and you're going to go, yeah, I knew that already. Because it's going to sound really, really like you're going to see it in the Word and go, yes, I believe that. What I'm trying to do is uncover some misconceptions for us today. This story is for believers. Everybody say, this story, believers. this story is for believers. What does that mean? That means that each of the types of soil are designed to show you a picture of what believers are like. What believers are like. So we have the first soil that the enemy comes and takes it away. No, no life is produced. The next soil, it's shallow. It's shallow. But something grows up quickly, but then it doesn't persist. That's a type of believer. They hear the word, they receive the word, it gets down into their heart, and it starts to grow something, and then what happens? They can't make it because the, the heat of the world, the pressure, the scorching pressures that are there, cause them to lose out. The third type. We had a, a, a sermon a few months ago back in the fall. It was called Category 3 Storms, I think. I just I just thought about it. Category 3 Storms. What was it talking about? It was talking about this third type of soil where the seed is planted. It grows up and it seems to be doing good. It's just that other things come along and choke it out so that it is what? It's unfruitful. And then there's only one out of the four types of soil that actually... Hears it, receives it, gets it down, causes fruit to grow, and flourishes and is fruitful the way it should. You know what I, you know what I've always wanted and, and, and grown up doing? I've classified that as believers and not believers. But this story is for believers. Every part of it is for believers. Look at verse 18. Matthew 13, 18. It says this. Listen to the, what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about heaven. That's not what it says. I just sing. Let's go to Matthew 13 and everybody look at verse 19 with me. Are you all there with me now? Uh, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom. See what I'm doing here? I'm tying it together with what we learned last week. We're going to keep building on it. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, not escapism, not an escapism of heaven only, this is meant to already start to remind us of the resurrection, isn't it? The actual kingdom. We're saying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You need to repent. These are the first messages that Jesus himself begins to preach. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Verse 20, the one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it. What does that make him? The man who hears the word and receives it with joy. But since he has no root he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. You know, growing up in, in church, you know what we used to call these? Like Roman candles. Like fireworks, man. They would rocket into the heavens. They would have an incredible pounding sound that would cause them to come out. They would, they would launch out into the kingdom. They would launch out into the heavens and create a bright, 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 loud occurrence. And then they were gone. And then they fell back to the earth. Just mere ash and ember of what they were once in the kingdom. This is the second type of soil. Look at verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life. Everybody say this life. life. Wow. It's almost like they forgot that there's a next life. That there's an age to come but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. <laughs> yeah, it's deceitful. Oh, pasta! it's not deceitful because I ain't got none of it. Yeah, sometimes that's worse. Because you think that would be your answer anyway. And you're chasing it. You don't have to have money to have a problem with wealth. You can, you could be searching after wealth. You could have a love of money. When you, that you can have a love of the money that you don't have. Wow. Come on now, Pastor, that's not right. I, I thought I was safe because I don't have money. Yeah, you're still not safe. It could still be a care of your, of your life that's trying to choke you out, whether you have it or you're like me and you've got to empty out your pockets and find Kleenexes and, you know, peppermint wrappers. Do you think it's actually only those that have money that this applies to? Or is this story for the believers? It's for us, man. One who received uh, the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Everybody say unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. So it's only the smart people, Right? <laughs> who hears it and is able to show and demonstrate their understanding by their actions. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So you say you're a Christian, huh? Come on, turn to your name and say, so you say you're a Christian. Man, these stories are for us. This is for us today. Let's, let's keep going in Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 24. Everybody there? Good, because we, we, we just read verse 23, so it should be easy for you to find. Jesus told them another parable. Here's parable number two. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. Here we are, sowing and reaping again. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. Weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the wheat, I'm sorry, then the weeds also appeared. Isn't it interesting that you can go along in the Lord and there's some point of maturity that comes along and you also see other things growing up in your life? You can see other things at work at the same time. Verse 27, the owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? Anybody ever ask that question? Yeah, I, I don't think I really sowed this. I, I still see something at work in me. I still see something at work in our group and, and none of us seem to have sowed it. What, where does this come from? Man, where does this come from in my heart? I think it's a very normal thing to try to figure out where the weeds come from. Look at what the, well, look at what the master says here in verse 28. It says, an enemy did this. He replied. <laughs> Doesn't even give him the time of day to, to name him. He just says, yeah, it's an enemy. Don't worry, this is a a plot of the enemy. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? Do you want us to go and take care of the weeds? What would you answer? Right? It makes sense. If you're growing a garden, you don't let the weeds grow up. This story is for the believer. Everybody say, this story is for the believers. Do you want us to go and pull up this weeds? No, he answered. What an interesting story. Is your attention there with him now? If you were in agriculture, you'd go, wait, 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 wait. The servants are asking, oh, we know, kind of like we already know what to do. We're just getting permission to go do what we already think we should. We'll we'll just go pull up the weeds. No, 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 don't do that. And here's why. Because you see, this is for the body of Christ. This is for the believers. It's not only looking at an individual's life, it's looking at something bigger. It says, no, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. What is the owner worried about? He's worried about damaging the wheat. Come on. Don't you know that you have a heavenly father who's worried about you? He's, his thoughts are towards you. How, how numerous are the Lord's thoughts towards you today? There's as numerous as the stars in the sky. There is numerous as the sand on any seashore anywhere. He's got thoughts towards you. He is doing things in your life and he is thinking about you. He is working things out for your good. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. What an interesting perspective. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it to my barn. And this is an incredibly interesting passage, right? He's looking at it and saying, hey, let's, let's wait. Now, let's go on and let's look at what, what the answer to this is. First, collect the weeds and get rid of them, and then we collect the wheat. Boy, that kind of goes counter against any escapism, doesn't it? Just get us out of here. Just pull us up out of this. Just move my, me from my situation, Lord. This is difficult. no, 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 no that actually could be harmful to you. That could actually pull you up and allow you not to grow to the fullness that you would have. Why would he wait till the end? Let's read, let's keep your place here in Matthew. Let's turn to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 and verse 22. Romans 9, 22 says this. What if God, choosing to show his wrath and to make his power known, It's almost like God can do two things at once. That's hard for some of us to do two things at once. Okay, let me be more honest. That's hard for me to do two things at once. (laughs) What if God choosing to show His wrath and make His power known? What if He can take care of the righteous and punish the wicked simultaneously? What if He can encourage you and tend to the wheat and allow the weeds to grow? What if he did these things and bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction? What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? Even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. What if he's doing this and allowing things to develop in a way because he plans to show a great deal of patience even to the wicked? Don't mistake the fact that the wicked are still here, that he hasn't seen it. He's demonstrating to us his great mercy. He's demonstrating to us his great patience. And there's also another reason why he doesn't have the servants pull up the weeds along with the wheat. There's another reason. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18. Ezekiel chapter 18, and let's look in verse 21. You guys there with me? Look at this. But if a man, but if a wicked man turns away from all the sins he has committed and keeps all my decrees and does what is just and right, he will surely live and he will not die. What is he promised in that moment? He's promised a a resurrection power. He's going to live and surely not die. None of the offenses he has committed will be remembered against him. Come on, that should be encouraging every single person in this room. Even if you start off in the wicked category. If you begin to do what is right, if there are consequences to your deeds and you understand that, you can transform yourself. Uh Uh-oh, here it is. The reason he doesn't pull up the weed with the wheat is because in the kingdom, you can change. You could be Have all the characteristics of a weed that you can imagine. You could have been planted in the wrong time at the wrong place with the wrong set of circumstances. And if you begin to do what the God of all creation tells you to do, you know what you become? You become a healthy part of the wheat kingdom. Look at verse 24. I'm sorry. Let's look at verse 23. I can't skip this. Do I take pleasure in the death of the wicked? declares the sovereign Lord. Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? This is in Ezekiel, right? You can hear it in Jeremiah. It's the same type of story. And it's also in Matthew in this parable. And he's saying, yeah, yeah, let them both grow up together. Why? Because the master is still hopeful that some can be converted into the weak category by their actions. Let's look at verse 24 now. But if a righteous man turns from the righteousness and commits sin... And does the same detestable things that the wicked man does. Will he live? None of the righteous things he has done will be remembered. Because of the unfaithfulness, because of, yeah, because of the unfaithfulness he is guilty of, and because of the sins he has committed, he will die. Why don't you, why don't you pull out the weeds while it's growing? Yeah, because the weeds might become wheat, and the wheat might become weeds. God is going to be right in his judgment. He's going to let it grow to see, to show you. What should that do for you and me? Let's think about this for a second. What should that do for us? That should give us both fear and encouragement, shouldn't it? It should do both for you. If you're only feeling one of these sides of this, you're not feeling, you're not understanding yet the whole picture. You might have a misconception about this. It should give us fear that it is our destiny that we must continue on that you have to keep going. The only way that you can lose at this is if you just stop. If you quit doing what the Lord is telling you to do, you should not worry about trying and failing. You should just worry about failing to try. This is us. We're going to that He is going to help us to accomplish what we're doing. We've got to keep going so that fear and encouragement is there. If I don't keep going, then I'll be counted with the weeds. But if I just keep going, if I just keep going, if I just don't stop, what is the enemy always trying to do to each of us? He's trying to discourage you. He's trying to cause despair to sit upon you. He's trying to say that it's just not worth it. Just go do your own thing, man. Just go ahead and at least enjoy your time as a weed. Be free to grow as much as you want in any direction you want. Do you know it's difficult for wheat and for the weed and the... And, the way that I grew up knowing this story was wheat and tare. When you grow up, it's hard to tell them at first. They look a lot alike at the beginning, but you know what you do? The wheat ends up growing, producing fruit, and they bow in humility because of the fruit that they have. And the wheat ends up just standing up in bold arrogance. And it's obvious at the end. You don't have to worry about them looking. And while it's growing along, it's hard to tell. I have to be honest with you. In times of my life, it's been hard to tell. You know, Lord, I'm I'm so weak in this area. I'm so discouraged about this. God, I want to be a weak man. I don't want to be a a tear. Let me encourage you. Be encouraged today that you have to keep pressing forward. You have to keep going. I don't feel like I'm doing it right. Just press forward. Just trust that he is going to work in you to do these things. And if you do the right things... In the end, it will be as though your wicked deeds were never remembered. How much more for those, for those of us who are trying? How much more for those of us who are in the kingdom? Let's go back to Matthew 13. <coughs> Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 37. Let us get the explanation Of the parable of the weeds, verse 37, he's answered the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word world and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. Boys, he's listening what every part of this story is. He's defining it for us. The harvest is the end of the age. If I say end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. That's kind of cool just lays it right out. What is he talking about? He's talking about this time that is yet to come from our perspective, but it will come surely. The son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where they will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun. Boy, Justin, open up our service with that scripture. Shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say that this story is for the believers. This story is for us as believers. Which part of it? Both the wheat and the weeds are us. Here's a a misconception that you might have. Isn't it easy to think that we're talking believers and (laughs) non-believers? If we're talking believers and non-believers, this entire story is for us. People who have been planted, people who have been tended, they are in the field of the owner. And he's saying that there's going to be a separation from those that are there. If you keep thinking like I did growing up, it's hard to undo the thinking. Because you want to look at this and go, see, this is Christian and non-Christian. Wheat and weeds, right? No, no. This is Christian and those proclaiming to be Christian. What group does that leave? Those not even proclaiming. Wait. Are are y'all with me? This is not Christian and (laughs) non-Christian. This is for the believers. This is for those who had seed planted and grown up in some kind of way, and then there's a discrimination between those who have done right and those who have not done right. This is a different perspective. I'm I'm, going to keep going on this to help us learn this. Let's look at uh, Matthew 13 and verse 47. Still in Matthew 13. Once again, it's almost like Matthew 13 is designed to help us get a driving home a point, right? Once again. Everybody say once again. again. Yeah, he knows that he's using repetition. (laughs) Once again. The kingdom of heaven focus there is on the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish when it was full the fishermen pulled it up on the shore then they sat down and collected the good fish in basket and threw the bad away everybody say this story is for the believer the way i grew up was thinking this the good fish christians the bad fish bad people if there's a net, if there's a net, that go, it gets thrown out there. Did it catch every fish in the lake? I don't know. It's just a parable, right? There's no, there's no, it doesn't even make sense that he would say, then why do you need a net? And yea, there was a lake and we caught every fish in the lake. If you're looking at the net as the entirety of the world, you're missing the point here. He's saying that there's a net, that got those, and they got collected of all kind of fish from every language, from every tribe, from every nation, and they're bringing them in, and what happens? You bring them up on the shore, and then you separate them out. Everybody say separation. separation. The entirety of the book of Matthew is talking about how to be separate. So out of the ones that have been caught in the net, there's still those that are out in the water. But out of the ones in the net, what happens? The workers come to the shore and they collect the good fish in baskets and they throw the bad fish away. I wonder where the bad fish would have gone. Probably the places where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But this is not believer, unbeliever. This is believer and those who claim to be believer. Are you guys with me? Verse 49. This is how it will be at the end of the age. Everybody say end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, So are we getting the repetition here? The reason I'm doing this repeatedly like this is because if you're like me, you have wrong ways of thinking. And if you leave this place, you know what you're going to do is you're going to read this story one day and be like, I know Pastor Wade said something. But I still see this as... Christians and non-Christians. It's hard to change a perspective that you have. Have you understood all these things, Jesus asked? Yes, they replied. Verse 52. This is a famous, this is a, uh, a favorite passage of our church. He said to them, therefore, everybody say, therefore, Every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of a storeroom new treasures as well as old. Boy, that's an encouraging passage, isn't it? If you've heard Pastor Eric speak any time, you're probably going to hear that a couple of times a month in this church. may not even be put on a screen. It's just going to be quoted from people. you know what this is in context of? The separation of righteous and those who claim to be righteous. It is in within that context that we're dealing with this. Man, this story is for believers. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, so you say you're a Christian. Let's look at Matthew 21. Matthew 21 and verse 28. Do you guys have a title in your Bible about what this says, this little section? Parable of the two sons. Everybody say this story is for believers. Verse 28, what do you think? There was a man who had two sons. What are they both if they're his sons? They're his sons. They're both. We got two sons, right? He went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Yeah, that, that makes so much sense as a parent. I don't want to. Go do it. Okay. Okay. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, oh, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they said. This story is for believers. This is looking at two people who are both in the family. One does what they're supposed to do, and the other does not do what they're supposed to do. Which one pleased the Lord? The one who had the actions to back it up even if they were having to work on their words. Hey, while you're working on your creeds, while you're working to make sure that you're going to say something right and that is spiritually accurate, make sure that your deeds are showing even more than your creeds. Make sure that we're not a church that has more creeds than deeds. Make sure that our understanding isn't farther along than our obedience. We have to be walking this out. Let's look at another story. Let's look at uh, chapter 22. Let's look at verse 8. This is Jesus speaking. He, used it, he tells a parable of the wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is like a king. And in verse 8 it says this. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. Wow. Those he invited didn't deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. That's an interesting phrase. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Well, that sounds like it's a successful time, right? There's a there's a wedding banquet for my son. The people that I invited didn't come. Let's open it up to everybody. Come on, everybody. Let's go to a party. Oh, that that, that sounds good. Let's all go invite anybody you can. Doesn't this sound like evangelism? Man, you want to invite anybody? We want everybody to, get, to understand what this is. Come on into the kingdom. Man, I don't know if they're good or wicked, so I'm going to invite them all. I'm going to present the truth of the gospel to all of them. I want them all to be saved. You know why? Because my heavenly Father does. He doesn't take delight in, in burning the wicked. He wants them to come to righteousness. I'm going to invest in that. Boy, that sounds great. Let's keep going and see what it says here. Verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Yeah, but you invited me. Yes, I did. I invited you to a wedding. Friend, he asked. What What are we saying if he's saying friend? Is he just being cordial? No, he's recognizing that the man heard an invitation, accepted the invitation, moved towards the wedding banquet and was there a part of what was going on. Everybody say, this is for the believer. believer. He joined the party, invited by the king. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. You ever been busted before and you had nothing to say? (laughs) <laughs> yes. I mean, you just, you just got caught right in the middle. You got caught red-handed and you're like, if you've ever done this to one of your kids and you're like, uh, who was it? Rob, it was Andrew the other day. We were, we were, uh, we were leaving Pastor Matt's house and, and Andrew was looking for something. And I was just like, what are we doing, man? And I, I just asked him a few questions and after a minute he realized that what he was doing was kind of silly and he went, <laughs> Yeah, you're right. He he was speechless. Like, why do we keep doing this? He was like, (laughs) yeah, I've done that before. Sometimes it's more tears than it is laughing, but it's like, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, I have no excuse. The point here is this man had no excuse. He couldn't say, well, you invited me. Well, Well, I didn't know I was supposed to be dressed. I mean, it's a wedding. I thought it was a real casual thing. No, that, that's not at all what he said. He was actually left speechless. Why? Because he was trying to be included, but he didn't have on what he was supposed to be wearing. Let's hold your place here and look at Revelation chapter 19. I, I'm going somewhere with this, guys. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. <coughs> It says, let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And in case you're missing, yes, Lord, we will listen to you. And in case you missed it, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So what is the story about the uh, parable of the wedding banquet? It's a man who had no deeds to go along with him answering the invitation. That's an incredible thing. I wore a white shirt today. I was trying to remind myself that it's about righteous acts that we're supposed to be performing. It has to be about the righteous acts. Let's keep reading in Revelation since we're here. Let's read um, verse 11. Dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Boy, it does it again. Whether you'd like to look at it from the wedding banquet, or the very armies of the heavens. Your white clothes, your linen, white and clean, bright and clean, are designed to be your actions. That's what we get to present to the Lord. But we see in, back in verse eight, he helps us. He helps give it to us to wear. It's not like he's just asking you to go make the clothes. He's saying, you just be faithful. You keep working for me, and I'll even give you the righteous acts that you need. What a ridiculous thought for this man to be in God's presence in Matthew 22 and not have clothes. Why? Because we have a God who will even give you the clothes to wear. He'll give you the deeds to do. Ephesians 2 says that we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Anybody ever had tailored clothes? If you're like me, you can't go and buy stuff off the rack. Stuff just doesn't fit right. I I, I know that this chiseled body type can be, you know, I know it's hard for you to believe. But to have, man, when you see somebody who has, has tailored clothes... Well, that suit, and they just took a few minutes to get it taken in in the right areas. They look impeccable. I mean, the truth is, it's probably just Damien on any day, right? I mean, so just somebody who just dresses right, who looks right, you know, got it going on. Hey, we want our deeds. The Lord has tailor-made acts for you to do. He's tailor-made. He's got it waiting in the closet for you. You have to go and engage with it, but he's got something that's going to make you look so good. Ladies, you have that dress that you like to wear because you feel pretty in it? Guys, I'm not going to ask you that because you should never answer yes to that, but. (laughs) God has got righteous acts for you to be able to do. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 22 and let's finish out the story. Matthew 22 and verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look at this phrase the next, in the next verse. For many are invited, but few are chosen. This story is for the believer. Many are invited, but few get to be chosen. Why? Because if you're not wearing the righteous deeds that your father has prepared for you, you get the same punishment as those who never even answered the call. Man, this is incredible. Look at it. Now let's turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. So you say you're a Christian, huh? Matthew 25. Let's look at verse 1. This story is for the believers. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. You know how I grew up thinking about this story? This is five Christians and five non-Christians. Why would non-Christians, in, in, in my, if I actually thought through this, why would non-Christians be part of the bridegroom? Why would a non-Christian be a bridesmaid? Oh, yeah, that doesn't make much sense when I actually think about, because this story is for the believer. You mean you could be included, invited, you can be betrothed? but what you have is a wise group and a foolish group? Yeah, that's exactly what it's saying because this story is for the believer. Verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. (laughs) Yeah. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. Does it say just the wise became drowsy and fell asleep? No, it says all of them. Right? That's not the separation that we're making. We find out that they're all very much the same except for their actions. At midnight, the cry rang out. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins, everybody say all. All, all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. Even the foolish virgins trimmed the lamp. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. No, 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 no. You can have actions that please the Lord. You can't steal my actions. I can't grant you my righteous deeds. Here you go. No, this was tailored for me. It's just not going to fit. Even if I wanted to give it to you, I couldn't give it to you. Well, they should have been nicer. No! You're supposed to have your own deeds. You're supposed to have your, go get your own oil. You know why? Because you can get it just like I can. You can have anointing in your life just like I can. God is not a respecter of persons. He is not going to get duped into thinking he doesn't like some more than others. Well, they have more anointing. Maybe they just went and got it. Maybe they're just doing what God has given them to do. Maybe we should quit comparing ourselves to other people in their task list and make sure that we're hearing from the Father the tailored acts that we are supposed to do. Maybe the whole point isn't how expensive the oil is. Maybe the whole point is that we have tasks prepared for us in advance that we must do. Because you and I are God's workmanship. We are the product of His work. We are the product of His labor. You can have it. Pastor, I just don't like what's going on in my life. Maybe you need to understand the bigger context to this. Pastor, I, don't, I just really don't like what I've been assigned in my life. Really. You don't like the tailored garments that you have. You don't like the tailored things that make you look exactly. It's the most flattering thing that you can do, is to do exactly what God has called you to do. There is nothing more flattering. There's nothing more flattering than a believer walking in their calling. There's nothing more attractive. There's nothing more flattering. There's nothing more that can cause other people to despise you because you're looking really good. Anybody ever seen somebody walk into a restaurant and you didn't like them just because they were dressed up nice? No? Okay, nobody. That was just me then. Anybody ever looked at somebody and thought something of their character because of how they were dressed? At least I'm not a snob. You don't know who they are. <laughs> Quit being jealous. I'm confessing now, Damien. That was you. I, so good looking. I get I get all sidetracked all the time. You know? Hey, come on now, let's be real. We do this in the natural. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's the problem, is it's in the natural. What we're supposed to be doing is walking in our calling. Let me encourage you. Men, there's nothing more godly and becoming of you than to be down on an altar when the Lord is moving upon your heart. There's nothing more becoming of you than leading and doing the difficult things to lead in your home. Yeah, but pastor, it's hard. Of course it's difficult. There's nothing more appealing to the Lord and to those who really understand. Ladies, there is nothing, nothing more appealing in the kingdom than you to be an excellent wife and mother. There is nothing better than that. There's nothing that is more godly that looks more tailored on you. And you're walking around with the joy of the Lord as you're doing what you were created to do. It's not all you were created to do. Did you just say, I'm just supposed to make babies and do dinner? What I'm saying is that you were particularly designed to be an easer to your husband. You were particularly well tailored that when you are wearing this garment, there is nothing more beautiful than that nothing. The world will try to tell you different. I'm telling you there's nothing more beautiful and nothing more godly than this. The five wise and five foolish virgins show us (laughs) that we are supposed to have our own oil and you can get it today. Like the two sons, or the fish in the net, or the wheat in the field, or the seeds in the soil, or those who were invited who came to the wedding banquet, These ten brides are all betrothed to the king. Their separation came from their own behavior. Come on, turn to your neighbor. Say, so you say you're a Christian? Let's look at Matthew 25 in our last parable. As we turn the corner here. Let's look at verse 31. Verse 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Does this little verse mean something different to you now? When you realize how many parables were saying the exact same thing, this is not a new concept he's bringing in at Matthew 25 when they're asking him the signs at the end of the time. He's saying, yeah, I've been talking to you about this the whole time. Take a look at our, at our visual aid here. On the day of the Lord, we have the resurrection of the righteous. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together to be with Him. And when the Son of Man comes in His glory, we have on the timeline where the sheep and the goats go. Do you know why? Because you get to be rewarded and work as a result in the millennial reign with Him based on what you're doing now. Let's keep reading. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. Yeah, He will. What what other... How else would He be sitting on His throne, right? All the nations... Everybody say all. all. All the people groups will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Everybody say, this story is about the believer. So if this story is for the believer here, then what are we saying? This is not a time when those who, the, this is a time for those who all are in the pen, and the, and the pen what the Lord is doing. From every people group, you're going to come and be gathered together and stand before Jesus Christ. But what are the ones who are coming out of the people group? This is the believers or those who say that they are believers who are getting called from the nations. Why? Because your Lord is now here. Is this dealing with the wicked who have no part of him? No. This is for the believer or those who claim to be believers. Uh, guys, I, uh, I know this is the seventh time that I've said it now. It's time number seven now. But I grew up not thinking that. I grew up looking at the sheep as the believer and the goats is those who just are wicked. No, no, no. This is the believers and those who claim to be believers who are going to be separated out. This is a big deal here. <clears throat> Let's look. Let's keep looking here. In verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goat. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. By the way, I I don't have time right now. Just a little quick caveat on this. Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives looking back at Jerusalem as he's teaching this. This is the Olivet Discourse. He's sitting on the Mount of Olives and he's looking back. And you know what's to his right? This would have been the entrance into the temple courts itself. On his left was the Valley of Gehenna. It was literally what they considered hell right there. He is showing... Both, as he's sitting there saying, I will say to those on the right, I will say to those on the left. And he's making a clear distinction between the sheep and the goats. Look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on the right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. How long was it prepared? Yeah, God has had it from the beginning for those who will be righteous in their deeds. He's got something in mind for you. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. Man, what a powerful passage. Do you hear what he's not saying here? He's not asking them for their their list of creeds. He's not asking for a belief statement. What he's saying is that I expect and I can see these actions when I was, when I was. Let me encourage you, church. This is not just a social justice. You guys know what social justice is? Let's go out and hand out water on the street corner because, because it says this and that will please Jesus. Let's, let's go out and only give food to people. No, the idea here is that there is such a connection that we are his sheep, he is our shepherd. We hear his voice and we obey and that's what causes the proof that we have been really brought in. We have to have deeds-based faith. We went to the hospital uh, on Friday. Shiloh had a, um, uh, a doctor's appointment. And so we went there. And you know what I found out when we got there? I found Asad and Kayla. I was like, What? I was so pleasantly surprised, not because I didn't think they would, I just recognized another sheep along along with us. I realized what that looked like. I was so proud of them because they had deeds that were reflecting a genuine heart and concern for someone else. This isn't social justice. This isn't just acts without the heart. This isn't just fasting without loosing the chains. This isn't just visiting prisons without setting prisoners free. I don't mean in the natural, by the way. We're not the jailbreak society, right? We're there to set prisoners free today in prison. uh, In the pod that my son was in, I think it was B-Pod. Steve had a rousing message about repentance. And you know what happened? People began to repent. They talked about the power of God. You know what happened? People were filled with the Holy Spirit. In prison. In prison. While they were worshiping, this is the kind of act that pleases our Lord. Think about Isaiah 58, verse 6 for a second. Isaiah 58, 6. It says this, Is this not the kind of fasting that I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, and to break every yoke? By the way, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the Jews who are fasting and praying. He's speaking to the believers of the day. Saying, yeah, I don't just want you to do things externally without the right heart. Do you think I'm pleased with sacrifices? Well, yeah, because you told us to do the sacrifice. Yeah, what I've always been trying to get at is a contrite heart. A broken spirit. Loosing the chains while you're fasting. Verse 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him? And not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Everybody say, then. Then Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. How will it go before you? Because people will see that you are dressed in righteous actions. And the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call. And the Lord will answer. Then you will cry for help, and he will say, (laughs) here I am. Man, what a beautiful thought that we have here. We're supposed to feed those in need of the food that sustains their spirit and their body. Man does not live on bread alone. We're supposed to show people the well of living water so that they can understand that it will never run dry. It's not just a natural. We're supposed to set people free from the chains that hold them captive and help them bear up under the load. We're supposed to clothe other people and ourselves with the righteousness of Christ and the deeds that will follow those. Back in Matthew, are you guys with me here? Yeah. Let me say it a different way. We have to be working from Christ and not just for Christ. Let me say that again. You have to be working from Christ, not just for him. Um, Joy, can you put up uh, Matthew 7? Chapter 7 and verse 21. It says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Somebody say, this passage is for the believer. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father. Next verse. Many will say to me on that day, which day? That day. Which day? This day that we're talking about. Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Is that going to be a wicked person's excuse? Didn't I do all these great things for you? No. I don't know a wicked person who tried to prophesy and is going to go, hey, I'm going to, didn't I prophesy in your name? That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Didn't I do many miracles for you, Lord? What are we talking? This is for the believers. Yeah. This is the separation of the sheep and the goat. They all seem to be in one pen, but our Father is not dis- He's not uh, distracted. He understands clearly who is righteous and who is not, and He's going to judge those groups. And the rest of the ones who aren't there, as far as our timeline goes, are the ones that we get to rule over during the millennial reign. Man, we have to be working from Christ and not just for him. Colossians 3:23 says whatever you do work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord not as for men. John 4:34 says this, "My food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of him who sent me." That should be the thing that is sustaining us is that we're doing the will. Let's go back to Matthew 25. Look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry? By the way, when is this supposed to take place? Is this already happened or will this take place? This will take place on the timeline. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? These are righteous people. These are the sheep. These are the ones who are going to be rewarded. And they're like, when, when, when did we see you this way? The king will reply, I will tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. When you followed my instructions to you, you were doing it for me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. This is an incredible thing. They're looking at it and going, uh, hey, w- wait a minute. Let's, go, let's take a look. Let's, uh... Let's back up to verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Who is the eternal fire prepared for? Yeah, it does not please the Lord to burn the wicked. It doesn't please him to separate and call one a goat and call a sheep. It is just the righteous actions that he is judging. He will do that, but that is not his desire. What we can be encouraged about today is that if we hear his voice and obey, you know we get called? We get called sheep. The first time that I met Susanna's father, we were in Agos Calientes. We've told this story before. He looked at me. Was one, I think it was on our first day there. And he said, oh, pastor, is, is my daughter, is she a goat or is she a sheep? And I thought he was kidding, like... I kind of I laughed and was like, oh, that, that's a funny way. I mean, I'm talking to Susanna's father, a pastor. He says, is she, a, is she a sheep or is she a goat? Oh, you know, of course she's a sheep. No, I'm serious. I was like, oh, yeah, you really are serious. He said, does she act like a sheep or does she act like a goat? And I went, this is a real pastor. He's not playing. He wasn't trying to get me to be nice to him about his daughter. He actually cared that his daughter was getting classified and doing what she needed to do. Sobered me up. In that moment, I was like, wow. I want to be like that when I grow up. He wasn't playing. How are you doing today? If that comment was made about you, are you acting like a sheep? Or are you acting like a goat? And what this is designed to do is understand that there's a separation. There's a consequence of our deeds. Last week we talked about faith. This week we're talking about deeds. They must go hand in hand. What is the? We always often say it this way. What is the next daring act of faith that you need to pursue? What was the last daring thing that the Lord told you to do? I not only want to encourage you in that today, You must be bold in your actions. You must follow everything that he said. I also want to encourage you in this. Do you realize that the Bible is written about the highlights of people's lives? The book of Acts, it may have taken years in between verses, years in between chapters. If you're only waiting for one great daring act of faith, what do you do day to day? You're waiting for the next daring thing to show. Yes, amen, those must come. Those must be in this house. We must have daring deeds of faith. But what about your everyday life? Is that somehow less important to the Lord? You will have more everyday, you'll have more normal kind of days than you do supernatural kind of days. If you only wait for these incredible moments, these incredible times, what happens to the majority of your life? Be careful lest it push you towards being a goat and you not know it. I'll wait for a great act of faith. What about taking care of your kids today? What about a, what about listening and supporting your husband today? What about leading your family today? What about being faithful on your job today? What about showing up for fellowship today? The deeds that are every day that we can trust. You know what we do? We're being like a sheep. We're being like a lamb where we're saying, hey, we're just going to do, Lord, what you put before us and trust that this will please you in the end. If we are listening to him, if we are being faithful to him. Turn to Ephesians 4 as we, as we wrap up. Ephesians chapter 4 <clears throat> Let's look at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Well, that sounds like sheep to me. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Hey, I need you to be patient with me. I need you to bear with me in love. I... I pledge to you that I'm going to do the same thing to you. I want us to have, I want each one of us to feel the approval of the Lord before we leave here today. To be able to know whether you're in fact a sheep or a goat and to be able to live the life of a sheep. Happy where the shepherd leads you. Happy to the streams of water that he brings you to. Happy to the protection that he provides for you. Happy for the gentleness, patience, and forbearance that He shows us. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit. Come on, say one Spirit. spirit. When you hear us say and proclaim from the rooftops that there is one way to do this, it's because we're trying to show you exactly what the Scripture says. This is not a denominational preference. We're not saying that we're the only ones that do it. We're just saying that the Lord has shown us the one spirit, and the one body that we must walk in. Just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Turn to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 27, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Everybody say one spirit. spirit. Contending as one man for the faith. And it's one thing for us to look at this message and to understand our part in it. That there is a separation. There are consequences based on our deeds. But we're supposed to act in one spirit. What does that lead us to? When we're in one spirit, we're supposed to be acting as one body. What happens when you have a church that's full of sheep? Not sheep and goats. What, if you ha- what kind of church do you have if you have a church that's full of sheep? You have a church that's marked by the great shepherd himself. Hey, that's the kind of church that we are working to build. Do you know why you need a, a message like this to remind us that there is a separation? Because we can't have any areas where we're being more goat-like than sheep-like. I have areas where I'm still a goat. I'd still rather headbutt somebody around me than actually help them. I don't want to be led. I have to be driven in certain areas. Goodness gracious. What areas are you acting like a goat today? We must act like sheep. Why? Because when we do this as one body, it builds something that the heavens take notice of. Not only do we need you, here, to be acting like a sheep. You need the presence of the body so that you can fully develop. We need each one of you. We, we could say that, and you may or may not believe that. Some of you will believe it more on one day than you will on another. I'm telling you today that we actually need you. And you need to be here operating with full deeds so that you can grow and be the way that you need to be. Don't worry about trying and failing. Just don't fail to try. What was it that was said, uh, Edmund Burke? I think it was that evil prevails when good men do nothing. Evil prevails when good men do nothing. Well, let's make sure that we are we have life that are full of deeds. Let's turn to James chapter two, last passage, second to last passage that we'll do. James chapter two. Let's look at verse eighteen. But some will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. That was last week and this week, right? You have faith in the resurrection. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good, even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous? For what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. Everybody say working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Look at verse 24. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. Boy, that would get you kicked out of a lot of churches nowadays, wouldn't it? You're going to be justified by what you do and not by faith alone. Wow. In other words, if you're saying that you're a believer, if you've got faith in these things, it must come out in your actions. Peyton, why don't you come on up as we turn to our last scripture, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And let's look at verse 14. It says this, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light, let your deeds shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Would you stand with me today?